oh my fucking god, I gotta talk to this guy. Let's just do this podcast. Ugh, I gotta talk to this British motherfucker. I'm gonna puke. What was he gonna talk about? Ooh, oi, mate, I'm fucking talking about fighting. What's good, everybody? Welcome to the Forbidden Technique Podcast on the Fight Site Podcast Network with myself, your host, Silas Mine, my co-host, as always, Christian Reynolds. And today, uh, we got last lot of fights for the year, at least for the UFC. I'm assuming there'll be some kind of Ryzen show that we'll completely forget to talk about because who the fuck watches Ryzen? But anyway, UFC 282 happened. Um was a pretty fun card uh, until like the main and co-main really <laughs> yeah just kind of soured by a couple of just weird fight results right at the top of the card um other than that was action-packed throughout tons of finishes but yeah and then we had in the main event Jan Blachowicz versus Magomed Ankulaev uh went to a draw which uh, is perfectly fine, right? Yeah, I scored it a draw live. I was like, okay, yeah, 10-8, fifth, easy. I really think the people who were up in arms about this decision have some kind of vested interest, either just in Magomed Ankalaev for one reason or another, or just uh, put a lot of money on Magomed Ankalaev. But... You can very reasonably score this fight a draw, and it just feels like fine philosophically because uh, both kind of like won almost exactly half of the fight each and landed near fight ending damage, and also had uh, elements of bad brain thinking and technical deficiencies and took their eye off the ball and just let the other guy do shit to them. Um, and then in the end, I, I, I'm just like, I don't feel like Ankalaev on the one hand you can say well yeah he got fucked up early and then he pushed through adversity and he did what he needed to do to win down the stretch so you gotta give him credit for that and on the other hand I'm like I don't really feel like he deserves a win for coming in with a terrible approach and needing to get fucking chopped to pieces before doing the thing that he should have been doing the whole time and wasn't the fight originally scheduled for three rounds? So if he went with that strategy over three rounds, he would have been unanimous decision 30-27. Yeah, um, even though some of the judges scored the third round for him, even though they unanimously scored the first for Yan. Which, like, if, insane? Yeah, insane. If there's a swing round that should push the scorecard in the judge's favor, it's the first round. Uh, he got his legs absolutely destroyed and was literally just hopping around in the second and third round. Yeah, the third round is arguably like Yan's the round he won the hardest because he almost finished him with leg kicks pretty much. Yeah. Uh, kind of frustrating that when Ankalaev wasn't literally just hopping around Yan didn't just start spamming low kicks. Um, you know, I guess he was trying to preserve his energy because, I mean, also like, it seemed like 
Ankaliyev just being fresher over five rounds, which was like reasonable to assume, was a big part of what helped him get the takedowns because he also spent a lot of time just trying to take Yan down from upper body clinch situations and not really having having any success because like I mean look at Jan Blahovic. What why would why would you go for upper body clinch takedowns? You shoot on the man's legs. He is all upper body. <laughs> and then uh Yan being super classy afterwards and Ankalaev being uh, um incredibly salty like a, like about a petulant getting, child yeah um about getting a draw in a fight where that was like an entirely reasonable result and like like i said you just don't you you should get to win fights by having approaches like that and just having innate advantages that you forget to push until you nearly get finished uh, Jan's the one who tried his ass off and just had the disadvantages in the matchup just come back uh, to bite him in the ass in a way that they were always going to. So it, philosophically, I am absolutely fine with this fight being a draw. And I don't, like it wasn't the most exciting title fight I've ever seen, but I don't know why Dana White was so incredibly mad about it. Yeah, it was fine. I guess he just hates draws. Like and it was, it was at least like interesting while it was playing out, and like I'm not going to go back and rewatch it like ever, but I didn't think it was by any stretch the worst title fight I've seen this year. The first three rounds were a perfectly okay fight, and then the last not two... even top five worst title fights this year. <laughs> no, it was like a good fight. I thought the Fine. last two rounds kind of sucked just because they were a little defeating to watch. But yeah, it wasn't actually like Jan Blahovich. Yeah, it, and it wasn't really like that bad. You know, it was like okay, this is a a wrestler beating a, a striker on the ground, or not even wrestler, but like a guy wrestling a striker. It's like that happens. And also, I thought what Ankalaev was doing is like a lot smarter in the third or in the fifth and fourth round. It, it, fair enough to like enjoy it. I, I I feel like if you kind of enjoy that type of thing, then that's it's a good fight for you. He wasn't just laming it out either. Like he, he no, he, no, he, he beat won the, fuck the fifth out of the last round. Yeah, it's clear ten eight round. Fourth round, he was kind of getting his bearings on how to grapple Jan, and he figured it out real fucking quick. And just probably one getting cleanly. the feeling back in his legs as well. Yeah, that too. Impressive that he was able to actually get takedowns once his legs were injured. But it yeah, also honestly, makes still, you think, like, it's like yeah, you credit to Mad Ankalive for like. Uh, grating through that but also just like why did you feel the need to because like he got his first leg destroyed and then switched sets and tried to fight Jan from orthodox and got his other leg destroyed i was like okay now i'm gonna wrestle something that actually was strange to me is i feel like blahovich would have just won cleanly had he gone for the legs a little bit less but he kicked the legs enough to where uncle i have had to just start grappling he actually so, brought out some urgency because here's the thing, like I did kind of get less confident in my Yan pick after the podcast just because it was five rounds and something I was very confident in that was that Ankalaev was going to come in and have a kickboxing match and be reasonably competitive but also like be losing. But like uh, Jan Blahovic winning really relied on Magomed Ankalaev just calmly losing the whole time. And I think maybe you're right. Maybe if Jan Blachowicz hadn't like fucked his legs up to the point that he bought the like he 
uh, he bought out that urgency in Ankalaev, then he he would have just calmly lost a medium pace kickboxing match for another two rounds. I also I think that uh like the way the matchup works out in hindsight, it's kind of he either finishes him with low kicks or he loses the fight because he makes Ankalaev wrestle him. Whereas like he didn't do enough attritional damage to the head or body to really set up a win. Uh, after injuring the legs, he really put all of his eggs in the lo- low kick basket by a certain point, and then he he kept Which, going. Fair enough, it was working. Yeah, he had to keep going for the low kicks, and Blahovich is not like Jose Aldo. He's not going to be able to defend a takedown if someone if someone tries to take him down while he's low kicking or something. So he, he really just got scared into not being able to low kick anymore uh, by the time the fourth round came around. Well, I mean, and then by the fifth round, by the time the fifth round came around, just got scared into taking himself down. Yeah, yeah, he he just panicked really hard, and uh, like his wrestling demon tripped him. But Ablohovich uh, uh, flat out has a, a deficiency in his game that I don't think he's ever going to work out. He's like oh, he's almost 39. forty. Yeah, like yeah. He's, he's almost forty, and I would not be surprised at all if Yuri Brahaska ended up taking him down in a later round or something, or if like oh, Adesanya no. rematch. Imagine had Adesanya gone for a takedown in the fourth round against Bohovich. He probably would have won. <laughs> I don't know, the, the 20 or 30 pound weight differential in that fight plays a, plays a well, factor. Well, it's just, Blahovich doesn't really get up if you take him down, and if Adesanya, I mean, Adesanya took down Pereira, and th- this is just, it's pointless to bring up, but I'm just saying, like, for the sake of argument, I think even someone that is not a wrestler at all explicitly could take him down if you just establish that you're not taking him down for long enough and can hang around. Like, I would not be surprised at all if Prohaska made it past three rounds and then just took him down once to be a, a fucking nuisance, and then that scared uh, Jan into losing the rest of the fight, even on the feet. Something like that. I think it's enough of a liability to where it makes him liable to lose really any matchup that someone has a takedown threat, which is pretty much everyone at light heavyweight, because almost everyone at light heavyweight will at least throw a takedown in there at some point. Over five, like they're guaranteed to pretty much. Over three, I don't think he actually has much of a a takedown uh, worry unless he's fighting explicitly a grappler like Teixeira. No, and there is also just like... Uh, weird submission threats that like come up in a lot of matchups at light heavyweight where people will go for takedowns. Um, but weird shit like that is just liable to happen because for while, while you were bringing that up, I was like, would Nikki Krills out wrestle Jan Blahovic? And I was like, oh no, Nikki Krills got like side naked choked by Jan Blahovic. Yeah, Blovich can also submit you. I feel like that's his only real boon in a matchup with someone that can grapple with him. But it's also, he's not going to fucking triangle you from bottom, you know? I, I, I think that Paul Craig would genuinely have a chance of beating Blahovich if uh, if he just got kind of lucky early on in the fight. Because, you know, Paul Craig is, isn't a useless takedown artist. You know, he took down Ankalaev, and Ankalaev has good takedown defense. Just, you, you time anyone, you're going to get a takedown. Uh, I, would you be that surprised if Paul Craig just got a takedown on Blahovich early on and like kind of out of just running the numbers enough? You know, if they fought a hundred times, he probably submits Blahovich in the first three minutes like fifteen times, maybe. Yeah, fifteen times, something like that. I, I don't think that's impossible. I I don't really know if there's anything for Blahovich to do at this point aside from just get 
even better at his own game that he currently runs. His hips are just bad. Like he has bad hips. He's old and he has bad hips and has never had good hips for takedowns. There, I think there's a reason he doesn't turn his hips over when he throws punches. I don't think he really can. Oh, and Ankalaev, we we talked a lot about Blahovich, but Ankalaev, his striking looked perfectly serviceable, but he is completely aimless strategically, and it is a detriment to him. There were you know, many he did things. Land good counter punches. Um, yeah, just like he, he's it, mechanically a very good striker. That's kind of the only avenue that he is actually a good striker. If if you are someone that is liable enough to just get dinged by him whenever you enter, he can counter the fuck out of you. Like, I think that's actually a danger he has in a matchup against, like, Jiri Pahaska, where Jiri is very silly and gets chinned by nearly everyone he fights. So someone that's oh, just a clean yes. counterpuncher, they would he's land he's clean. He's going to get punched clean in the mouth if he fights Ankalaev. It's just, it's just whether or not that ends up mattering. Yeah, and Jiri, uh, like... Jiri is good enough at layering his offense to where if he knows what counters you're going to use, he can avoid them. You know, Dominic Reyes, he wasn't really very counterable by a certain point because he he saw what uh, Reyes had coming, or Reyes was throwing back with. And he even then still got dinged, but he's just durable enough to take it and then keep going. He's been dinged in every fight he's had in the UFC. He got, he, you know, he nearly got sat down by Volkan Uzdemir. He I got dinged with the left hook and a bunch of other stuff uh, in the Glover fight. Yeah, you have to think about Jiri has been dinged in every single fight he's fought, but also he's fought several good strikers that normally have a lot more of a systematic approach to their striking game than Ankalaev does counter-wise. Like, Ankalaev has good mechanics for a counter, he hits really hard, and he's good at following up after he's hurt you. If he hurts you, he's a very good chance he finishes you, but he isn't that likely to, to, or as likely to hurt Jiri as I think a lot of people are thinking. I feel like most people are kind of just assuming, oh, you know, the taking threat plus the fact that he's good at, uh, like, first layer counterpunching. That could be difficult for Jiri, but Jiri, he could throw some stuff away. He's very long. I think Jiri actually has a lot to offer in the matchup. He still had fights where he's, like, dropped his opponent and then kind of just... Like, if the, if the finish doesn't materialize pretty quickly, he mostly kind of just gets back to work and just just kind of does his thing and doesn't like doesn't really push for the finish or build off of that moment that much like um like in the second uh kutalaba fight like he dropped kutalaba really hard when kutalaba was doing some dumb spinning shit and then then kind kind of just like waited to get more clean counters on kutalaba because that was just going to happen at some point i'm pretty sure didn't he he dropped vulcan ustamir and then kind of, kind of just yeah. let not that much happen in the rest of the fight. Yeah, that's a salient point. Like He's not a finisher if he hurts you. It's more that if he hurts you and then uh, can knock you out in the next 10 seconds, like pretty much during the same exchange, then you're fucked, which yeah, I, I don't uh, think would happen. I think he would like, if he knocks out Jiri, I think he just knocks him out with the first shot that lands. I, I don't think he would even thing. have to follow uh, up. I, I, I typically think of like... Uh, Uzdemir and Reyes as being like like bigger finishing punches than Ankalaev. Yeah, it's more just that like Ankalaev, if he drops Jury, is actually gonna fuck Jury up really badly on top. Which isn't something that Reyes or Ozdemir is really gonna do, and Ozdemir didn't even knock him down. Okay, yeah, so co main event. Uh Paddy Pimblet. <laughs> yeah, who's a fucking hype train now? 
Jared Gordon, uh, the newest contender. <laughs> um, so, yeah, people also incredibly mad about this decision, and I don't mean to defend uh, either Paddy Pimbler or Dana White when I say that, like, <laughs> it's pretty close. Uh, again, it's one where if you actually look at how the judges reached the score that they did, it's like, what the fuck? How did they, two of them, give Paddy the first round? Um, because Paddy got absolutely spun every time Jared Gordon threw a left hook in the first round. And then he kind of got back into the second round, mainly just because he started kicking a bunch. And then... In the third round, Jared Gordon mostly just pushed Paddy up against the fence and Paddy was throwing knees and kind of won a scramble towards the end of the round. So so he, he won that on some of the judges' cards. So, um, yeah, I don't know. Like, I almost thought Paddy Pimblett had started to win me over just because I was like, you know what, maybe I should stop giving Paddy Pimblett so much shit for... Uh, getting completely outclassed by Julian Arosa and then uh, winning a robbery decision. Because I love Julian Arosa. I think he's really good. And that was a while ago. And uh, uh, maybe Paddy's gotten better since then. No, no. He he hasn't really gotten better at all. He's just gotten a lot larger. He's a lot larger. Um, Like, looking at him now, it's like, how the fuck was he fighting at featherweight? I thought the decision was incorrect, but, like, who gives a shit? I would rather Patty lose his hype to a real prospect. In mind, it was close enough, um, and, like, y- you can see how the, the judges ended up with the score they did. It is what it is. Yeah, for, for Patty to, to then be like, yeah, I, I easily won the first two rounds, so I just coasted in the third, even though I came into this fight saying that I was, wasn't going to be happy with anything, anything other than a first-round finish. And, like, how, what the fuck are you talking about? How can you, how you say that wasn't a close fight and that you can be confident that you won those first two rounds? And then be like, yeah, fight of the night. Like, what the, how, how, how fucking delusional do you have to be, man? I feel like that's just fair lying. Like, <laughs> just, yeah. just, just if you get a robbery decision, why even say it's a robbery? You'd be like, "Oh, fuck, sorry that I won." It's like, it's just, who cares? It wasn't even like a, he got the fuck beaten out of him. He just got left hooked more, and then, uh, and then like proceeded to not even be hurt a single time. I, I feel like it's kind of like Max Holloway losing the the first fight, and then be like, "Oh, I won against Volk," and be like, "Oh, I won." Like, I get it. Like, he doesn't feel like he was hurt that much. So like, why even why even be like, oh, I fucking I got out class. Who cares? I I I I feel like that it was the most boring fight on the card because it shouldn't have been on the main card. It should have been like the third fight on the prelims. <laughs> yeah, on actual merit, to be honest. Um. So yeah, like it seems like, um, from what Dana White said after this, that he he kind of just. Even he kind of just sees like Paddy Pimbler as like a meme fighter who can just prop up cards with other British people on them and have dumb fights against like mid opposition just because he has this like weird fan base that just adores him for whatever reason. Um, but he's saying he wants to be the champion, so he's got to start fighting good people. 
I mean, anyone even on the on the fringe of the top 15 is going to absolutely annihilate Paddy Pimbler. I've been saying I think he should fight Guram Kutateladze, uh, but it's literally never going to happen. Yeah, there's certain matchups where if if he gets someone, even like Drew Dober, Drew Dober could just spin his fucking head around real Drew, quick. Drew Dober Terrence McKinney? Oh, yeah. Uh, also, like, yeah, there's plenty of, like, still reasonably matched fights you can make well outside of the top 15 that, um, like, do you, do you think he beats 2022 20, Michael Johnson? I think maybe just on being very maybe. large. But I also and... think if you give him, you know, Bobby Green, I think Bobby Green would beat the fucking piss shit out of him. I think Bobby Green makes him look like he doesn't belong in the UFC. Yeah, or, or like there's there's even matchups like if Alexander Hernandez is like, well, I lost a featherweight, oh, I guess I'll go back up to lightweight. He might just get dusted by Alexander Hernandez in in like the first 40 seconds. If he were to be matched up with Vyacheslav Borshev, he should be able to win that matchup by just taking him down and doing whatever he wants, but he also might just get slept in the first exchange or, you know, just... Uh, get left hooked repeatedly and not push a takedown advantage because he, for some reason, has bought him into being a striker, even though that was never his bread and butter as a fighter coming up. See, that was stupid. Um, Santiago Ponzinibbio got bopped the fuck up by Alex Morono and and then knocked Morono out in the third round because uh, uh, Morono just... Like couldn't really sustain the kind of fight that he needed to have, even though, and like, and it was short notice. We we watched the fight live together, and at, there was a point during the second round where I said, "Okay, Morono has won the first two rounds. Time for him to get tired and then uh, start fighting better, but then still lose and like or get knocked out." And then it just happened. So I I was both upset because I wanted Morono to win and thought he was doing really well, but in entirely unsurprised yeah and this isn't you know and morono was the one who really really showed up and like did everything he needed to do in the matchup and it just ended up not mattering because it, uh, he's alex morono and he's and also not a good finisher at all no and and he, no and he's going to be walking and he's just always going to be walking a thin line whenever he's fighting even this like much more faded version of santiago pontanibio who who is still just like flat out more athletic and just technically more well-schooled as a striker than Alex Morono. Um, you know, uh, good for Pons to be able to still have the dog in him and and be able to stay in the these fights uh, and fi- find a big finish late. It's just like a worrying kind of point in his career where, <clears throat> you know, if, if he's not like aggressively pushing into the pocket and pressuring, then then like kind of what it is Santiago Ponzinibbio. But then you compound with that, with the fact that just like his reactions and durability and just general confidence have dwindled a good bit in the last few years, that he kind of either just has to get into a vicious war with someone who can't finish him and get the fuck beaten out of him to, to bring the dog out in him. Or he just has like the Jeff Neal fight where nothing ever really gets going. Or he has the Li Xing Liang fight where he just gets fucking decked. So I, I don't know what he does now. Maybe he could fight like Brian Barbarena. Pons is flatly shot at this point, but No, he no, and I'm saying like, you know, yeah. I, I think this version of Brian Barbarena gives him like some trouble in the first couple rounds. Oh, I th- I think Barbarena like finishes him pretty like 
comfortably. Maybe. I think really anyone that isn't past it beats the shit out of him. I mean, I wasn't too hot on him getting matched with Robbie Lawler because uh, it seemed like a, a vicious old man slaughter, but I don't know, maybe that's like a well-matched fight if they both want to keep fighting. I kind of think that Robbie would have beaten the shit out of him if we got the the Robbie from the Barbarina fight. Like, the first round where he was so insistent on, like, coming forward and throwing offense, I think he would have just gotten success and then won. Especially Maybe. since he was getting dropped by Alex Morono. If you're getting dropped by Alex Morono, even shot Robbie Lawler if he's really pulling the trigger is going to fuck you up horribly. Dreykus do plus got fucking like a really easy win over Darren Till, but also struggled because he can't win without struggling. Yeah, and this also seems to be the pattern of Darren Till's fights recently that like he comes out in the first round, he's just a fucking deer in the headlights. And he's just like, whoa, what the fuck is going on? And he just gets pantsed in the first round and then kind of makes some adjustments and starts looking okay and then just loses focus again and just makes horrible decisions and gets finished. He uh, apparently had an ACL injury in this fight that the doctors knew about. Yeah. Which, not surprising, I feel like at a certain point you have to just acknowledge, if you're injured every fight with basically the same injuries, then the problem's on you. It's not just that you're unfortunate, it's he has had leg injuries nearly every single fight in his UFC career. Train Pulled better. out of a ton of fights, but yeah. you know... He, <laughs> just train better. Well, I just think it's probably a bit late for that, it just seems like Darren Till's kind of just been chewed up and spit out by MMA. Um Fair enough. It's a shame because uh, at one point he looked really talented, but um, and he's still crazy fat. Still has yeah. a lot of his uh, the things that made him relevant. And even this fight was kind of a return to form to, for him in certain aspects. The fact that he was aggressively pressuring uh, in the second round and he was just doing his classic one-two. Like, even the camera angle, you got to see him do exactly what he did in, uh, in like, the Donald Cerrone fight and the Boyan Vlitschkovich fight, where he just gets his opponent to the corner, to the fence, and then does a one-two, and then it lands between their guard a bit, because he's really quick, and he's able to punch down the pipe. But that just wasn't enough, because he's never been a power hitter. He's just big and fast, which is a no, dangerous combination, but he's not a good finisher ever, and his kicks don't work because he's always injured. Yeah, so something I was going to say is um, having a good left roundhouse would massively service all of the stuff that Darren Till is trying to do, uh, but he has no knees. And I, I, just don't, I just don't know what, what he's doing when I see him in these fights sometimes these days. Um, and then uh, Drikas Duplessis, I mean, uh, he's a fucking lunatic he's a mess. I don't know how much longer it's going to keep working, but I'm here for it. It's fun. Uh, he should fight like Roman Delidze, right? Yeah. 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 Uh, terrible fight for uh, Duplessy. But anyway, uh, opening the main card, we had um, genuinely fantastic, like coming out party kind of performance um, with Ilya Taporia. Just absolutely sunning Bryce Mitchell. It was one of the best beatdowns I've seen in a while. He flatly outclassed him in every face. 
Like leading up to this fight, Ben was saying in the Discord, oh, has, has Ilya ever fought someone with a really good top game? Uh, I was like, has Bryce Mitchell ever fought uh, a unit who's a power puncher who can stop a takedown? I don't know, apparently my reasoning was more reductive and it ended up kind of not being. Because <laughs> it was like, oh, no. No, no, he hasn't. Um, not nothing to be able to out-wrestle Andre Feely, but Ilya Taporia is a problem. He is a fucking hoss. Um, any... Uh, doubts there were about his defensive wrestling liabilities i feel like a bit completely shored up by this fight he shut down pretty much everything uh bryce mitchell tried to do and i mean he got like one takedown um and kept taporia in full guard like towards the end of the round um, but other than that taporia was just ready to sprawl on everything ready to scramble and like ready to punish with hard counters for anything bryce mitchell wanted to do and something to note about um, Mitchell is that units are kind of like a difficult matchup for him inherently because they're harder to just outright choke or uh, kind of control with the strength. Like matchup. Also, hard, also harder to um, to duck under their punches to yep. get to their hips. Uh, you look at his only loss that was an exhibition, so it's not actually on his record, but it was to Brad Katona, who is a very small fighter basically like a bantamweight uh people mentioned that mitchell got a lot larger but he got larger and then fought a much larger unit you know like tapuria could fight at lightweight comfortably and he's five seven yeah like his only fight at lightweight was against jai herbert but you look at that fight and it's like oh yeah he appears to hit about as hard as francisco trinaldo uh so uh if not he's much harder and he's extremely fucking strong so and fast um, as fuck and fast. He's legit um, twice as fast as Mitchell whenever they were in exchanges. I said it, I think he could have success at like any weight class that he chooses to commit himself to. Get him in with serious contenders at featherweight because like he's clearly ready. Yeah, he he's just a problem. Um anyone anyone at that press conference who was booing Ilya Taporia and cheering for Paddy Pimbler, fucking watch the fights, you absolute morons. Like, Paddy Pimbler is a mid-meme fighter, and Ilya Taporia is fucking serious. He, he might he might actually be, like, the fourth best fighter in the weight class. Something I, I want to see is him in a matchup against someone like uh, uh, Giga Chikadze. Giga is quite difficult in theory. Yeah, they, they, probably, they probably won't fight, because they seem to just be Georgian homies, but... But matchup-wise, that's actually a fight that could be quite difficult for him because Taporia, despite being really good at being a unit, he does have difficulties with someone that can kind of length them. Even when Mitchell started just throwing a 1-2 and like putting a high kick at the end of it, you started having some success just shutting down Taporia's offense in the second yeah, round. Yeah, some, someone with a long frame who's very fast and has good intercepting counters. Mm-hmm. Things that can come up down the middle because... Uh, or just like kind of punctuate a head kick at the end of an exchange because Tapuria does throw himself really out of position with how hard he overthrows punches sometimes. So I can see ways that he would have difficulties, you know, in particular like a Max Holloway matchup or like <laughs> Volkanovski. But again, those are thinking about the two pound for pound best fighters in the sport history, arguably. So it's not that not that relevant. You kind of have to get to those before before you're looking at like genuinely like just clearly very difficult matchups for Ilya Taporia 
uh, like, you know, he, he's asking for a fight with Brian Ortega. And I'm like, uh, yeah, Ortega's ready to fight anytime soon. I'd love to see it and uh, might favor Ilya in that one. Yeah, if Ilya can just avoid, uh, you know, falling over on a takedown or something, or, or on like a... Or like overthrowing a right hand and getting guillotined like E1 Pretty much. Stuff. Uh, I think Ortega is a very difficult matchup for him in theory, but also he has so much leeway to make that matchup impossible for Ortega. Like, if he lands a few good power body shots, we haven't seen Ortega fight someone that just hits that hard to the body, or someone that can punctuate a combination to the head after ripping him to the body that hard. You know, Max Holloway torched his body, but it was with volume in a very different type of body punchers. Uh, Tapuria can just fucking take your liver from you in a way that Max Holloway can't really if his kicks aren't available. He literally lifted Jai Herbert off the ground with a left hook to the body. And that's a guy that could fight it like welterweight. And he, he lifted him in the fucking air. So I could see him just ripping Ortega to the body really hard with a left hook and then getting his respect and then being able to kind of work that into even more success. I think someone like Ortega who can just eat shit over and over and might even be able to eat full power on the chin and still keep coming is, is someone difficult. But also, Tapuri has the type of power where I'm not going to pick people's chin to beat his power. Which is a rare fighter at that weight class, honestly, because normally there's such good chins that you kind of have to pick the chin over the power. But even Max Holloway, I think if Tapuri landed really cleanly, he could give Max Holloway a real run for his money. Yeah, Calvin Cato, like, I can see things he has to offer in every matchup at the top end of the division. He fits into the weight class really well, too. Yeah. Um, and I know he had already, like, badly fucked up Mitchell with, like, the uppercut and um, a bunch of other stuff, but the finishing sequence where he just fucking pancakes Mitchell and chokes him out with an arm triangle, just ill as hell. Pure disrespect. Yeah, it's, uh, it's rare to see a fight where someone gets flat out like emasculated performance wise he got outstruck he got outspeeded he got outpowered he got out uh durability and then he got out muscled at the end and then uh got out jujitsu as the guy whose only path to victory in the fight was to submit him and not for nothing because i still think bryce mitchell's very good and he's like an underrated yeah. athlete easily like top 15 But also, as we suspected, Mitchell is, is going to have difficulties if he fights someone that just can grapple as well. Mm -hmm. Okay, so headline in the prelims, uh, Raul Rosas Jr. Uh, just absolutely boy-handled Jay Perrin. Um, yeah, he, he teenaged him really hard. <laughs> Jay Perrin talked so much shit and then got, like for yeah, lack of a better term, bitched. Yeah, by someone uh, 11 years his junior. So solid performance by Raul Rosas Jr. Um, do you think like Max Holloway is watching this being like, yo, I was like a year older than this kid when I got into the UFC and I had to fight fucking Dustin Poirier. Where, where was my, my cat? If I was Max Holloway, I'd be very frustrated with that. But also I think it's kind of just a product of the fact the UFC has learned from that. Uh, well, I'm also like, sure oh, Max yeah. Holloway is, is, is over you know, how much he was disrespected by the promotion early in his career by now. Um, yeah, and anyway. also Max Holloway, he, he became the best fighter in the world. So yeah, 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 yeah. Anyway, Raul Rocha Jr., uh, he's pretty good. I'm still slightly apprehensive about him being here just because like, the bantamweight division is full of killers and it is full of manly men. Um, and like again, you don't necessarily have to get him 
uh, even towards the edges of the top 15 to get him in matchups where he might genuinely just take like a life-altering beating from someone like like John Castaneda or Mario Batista. You know, like I say, you know, Max Holloway and Charles Oliveira were barely older than this guy when they got into the promotion and worked out for them. A solid performance. Don't know what there is to say about it. Good, good for him. He got that performance bonus. He can get his mom that minivan. I think if he were brought into the UFC seven years later after just crushing cans for the next next seven years, like if he if he just went and was thirty and zero by the time he got to the UFC, just from crushing cans with jujitsu, and then he gets his man strength, I think he would be. Uh, like as talented as we've ever seen someone get into the UFC. He's already 18 and he deserves to be in the UFC, certainly. But I think you have to kind of consider he he deserves to be in the UFC on merit, but he should not be in the UFC. He's too young and he's going to be fighting people with a dramatic physical advantage, even though he's definitely on roids. But there's people that are, have their man strength fully developed and also are on steroids and Rosa Jr. You have to assume he's probably going to end up at like featherweight or lightweight. Or fucking middleweight. I'd be surprised if he was. Maybe who knows? Like he 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 might just Jake Matthews and get on like human growth hormone and then grow four inches during his UFC tenure. Uh, like it, people forget that Jake Matthews was five eight when he joined the UFC. Now he's five eleven. So that's something to consider. Uh, what if Rosa Jr. just ends up being much larger and then has a style that doesn't really translate to the weight class? Like, if he ends up just being a featherweight, uh, good luck being a grappler at featherweight. Uh, we've seen how that works out a lot of the time, and unless the the weight class is just so different in several years to where that's actually a benefit, then I don't expect him to have much uh, leeway in the current landscape. But again, he's so young you have to assume he's either going to get burnt out really fast and chewed up and then probably cut or he's going to maintain his career and kind of just endure or sometimes people are like trolls of the and they just end up being really good in their 30s even though they got the fuck beaten out of them in their 20s yeah i'm still leaning more towards it being the first one because it's normally what happens yeah and he has some severe liabilities on the feet yeah and the ufc is simply just not built for prospect development and neither really should it be it's not a place for prospects to develop. It's the place where you're supposed to join already as good as you're going to get or like slightly, like very close to as good as you're going to get. Yeah. And um, yeah, so, it's so, like the, the particular talents that get much better. Yeah. And it's like I mean, it's, it's something that Hacks brought up when we were watching this is that um, I thought it was a really good point was that um, it's it's really dangerous the UFC taking this kind of Hollywood approach of trying to invest in young talent like in the hopes of that being a long-term payoff for them because um, you, you can't just like bring in a charming young star that people are going to identify with and just push it to people and tell them they're going to like it because they might just get the fuck beaten out of them. So yeah, I, I, I don't know. Like even just another two or three years on, on the regionals. Yeah, it's okay to join the UFC if you're young. It's just he's so young that he, he might end up not even physically progressing past what he is now. He might just be bonsai trying to stay at bantamweight and then not progress physically. And he seems to be a pretty large bantamweight. I, I don't expect him to be at no. bantamweight for more than like the next two years. So then he pops up featherweight, and what's his best case scenario? He like fights Julian Arosa short notice, and then gets like clanged really hard by someone that can actually teep, or someone with like range tools, and a and a guillotine. So anyway, uh, 
Jorginho Rosie Stroke versus Chris Dalkhouse. Uh, Christian, when you said, like, when you asked if Rosie Stroke was going to outclass Dalkhouse, was this roughly what you had in mind? Pretty much. There's two ways that uh, Rosie Stroke outclasses you. He either makes the fight terrible by just easily getting his win condition for a decision until he maybe finishes you, or he just fucking hits you really hard initially and then kills you because he's a very urgent uh, fighter if he hurts you. Like, if he hurts you, he's going to charge you and try and kill you. And Dawkus is a small heavyweight. Yeah, and uh, we have seen Rosenstruck, like, for all of his issues with just being extremely lackadaisical in fights, uh, we have seen him be on a bad losing streak and get matched up with someone who he physically outclasses and just walk up to them and kill kill them when he fought Augusto Sakai. Um, so you know, it, like he sees what he sees matchups for what they are, and he talked after the fight about being more aggressive. Um, I don't know how, how this is the fight that Rosenstruck needed for him to suddenly kind of grow on everyone and get in their good books because this is the first time I've heard people like rooting for Rosenstruck and be like, "Fuck yeah, Rosenstruck!" Yeah, I also saw something on Twitter that I found funny because Chris Dawkins is a cop. Where someone said new mythical fighter unlocked Chris Dawkins versus a black guy and he just gets fucking dusted. So uh, uh, another win against cops. Always happy to see that. I should stop being so mean to Dawkins. I think he followed the site on Twitter. I do not care. Watch the other people on the site. I'm not. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna fucking bullshit. Yeah. Uh, Edmund Shabazian Shab- uh, beat Dolce Lungabula. Um was exactly the matchup he needed for someone who was going to just like uh, go at his pace and give him some room to do his thing and show the things that he's been working on. But, um, yeah, uh, he still defended a bunch of takedowns against Dolce Lungambula, who for all his issues is a ridiculous physical specimen. And, you know, he stayed patient. Picked his shots and got finish. Yeah, definitely a win that is not yeah, it's nothing. Not, it's not nothing, uh, and it's I, just like good to see Shabazian getting back to having just like reasonably good performance in a perfectly well matched fight. Um, like uh, starching Brad Tavares really is the worst thing that ever happened to Edmund Shabazian because he just made people think he was a kind of super prospect that there wasn't, that he really didn't have the goods to back up and was uh, kind of uncomfortable seeing the beatings that he was taking in his last few fights. So, um, you know, maybe if he can stick on this track, then he can go from being a guy who kind of looks like Corey Sandhagen to a guy who can fight like Corey Sandhagen. Uh, Chris Curtis uh, knocked out Joaquin Buckley. It was oh, yeah, kind of just nice. He, did, he did, the, did the Chris Curtis. He got beat up for a little bit and then found a really nice counter left hand uh, and deaded Joaquin Buckley. Yeah, and Curtis isn't traditionally like a huge knockout hitter, but if you give him someone that has uh, what could loosely be described as a not great chin, he's, he's probably going to get him out of there. And well, he's not the biggest knockout hitter. Like, he's a sharp counter puncher and he picks his spots really well. Yeah, he is an accurate hitter, uh, a lot more so than he's a power hitter. Uh, all of his fights that he doesn't finish where he wins is normally just someone that's very durable who can just eat the same counter over and over. Whereas if you give him a guy like Buckley who is probably going to get put on deer legs or or like Bambi legs after getting hit really hard or like hit cleanly, then he's going to finish him off. He's a very very experienced fighter. Yeah, um, Buckley just like... um... 
Yeah, he gets finished a good bit, but you also got to look at like how fucking out of position he is when he takes the shots that get him finished. Yeah, yeah, he's not a, a weak chin fighter by any means. It's just in this type of matchup, you kind of have to expect that. I mean, if Chris Carter's going to land on you, he's going he's gonna to finish him. Yeah. Um, and Chris Kurtz not having to massively punch up actually being at some kind of frame parity with his man. Uh, but, you know, Buckley looked good. Uh, he actually, like, was hitting the body again. He did well until he just threw a kick from too close and got countered because um, I think he's just not that used to fighting other southpaws and and kind of just, like, massively misjudged the distance on his left round kick and, and just kind of got it caught and, and clanged while he was on one leg. Um. What else happened? Oh, yeah, Billy Quarantillo versus Alexander Hernandez. Um, wow, fucking brutal one for Hernandez. This was like the perfect fight for him to go down and have a round where he could look good because it was something that I brought up that maybe he would just have a dramatic strength advantage in the fight. Um, and he did, but it just ended up not mattering because, um, you know, for all this time, I've been saying that Hernandez just breaks in fights. And the more I've been watching his fights, the more I'm kind of just like, I think he just gets figured out and gets finished. I don't actually know that he even breaks. It's not that good. Yeah, if you break, you're going to lose to Tiago Moises, like defending almost every shot you throw for a couple rounds. Yeah, like this is the second time Hernandez has been stopped on his feet. Like he, he was trying his ass off to stay in the fight in both this one and uh, the Dober one. Um, he just gets buzzed and has no idea what to do to come back from the the deficit he's at, and he gets really yeah, tired he, and he doesn't hit hard once his explosivity's gone. Yeah, and he do, does not have the tools on the back foot or the defense, and he's just so predictable when he's exiting exchanges that at a certain point in almost every fight he has, the people just like even if they're like getting overwhelmed by his speed and power early, they've realized that they can just chase him back out of the pocket and he does not have an answer for it. And his arms get real heavy from grappling, which is not a good thing to have if your only uh, benefit when striking is that you can kind of pop someone real fast to set up your takedowns. So he stops being able to get his takedowns going once his hands start to go away. So that's really difficult in this type of matchup where your opponent's not going to get tired and also isn't really going to get meaningfully damaged going into the second round. Like, Quarantillo got cut, but kind of who gives a shit? Quarantillo could handle you cutting half of his face off and he'll still be in the fight. Yeah, you have to, like, actually be able to consistently, um, like, shut Quarantillo out of a fight by by being, like, technically better than him in, in at least one phase. But you can't sustain that. Like, yeah, you, you're not just going to buzz him in the first round and like take him off of his game. If anything, you're just going to make him, you're just going to give him more of a sense of urgency and he's just going to come for you harder. And it, it, when his, his, his game gets rolling, he's just, he's a fucking lunatic. He just doesn't stop. And you, it was also the perfect matchup for Hernandez to have to go through just another horrific sustained beating because. Uh, Quarantillo doesn't really have the natural power or mechanics to just put someone out, but he will just keep fucking throwing. <laughs> and something this fight did for me where it, it kind of contextualized why I like Hernandez as a fighter or why I'm a fan of him is because, you know, he's an asshole that kind of gets his ass beaten in most fights where he fights someone like good. But when he gets his game, uh, or he has like a meaningful strength advantage, he's normally a borderline elite fighter for the first round. Uh, if he doesn't just get 
like torn up by a matchup like he did in Drew, uh, in Drew Dober, where Drew can he's enough of a unit to where he can just defend a takedown or two and also indoor past. Like he's just not going to get submitted or or beaten down. So well, and even then, Drew Dober got taken down multiple times while he was in the process of finishing Hernandez. Yep. Uh, and and Hernandez is in this matchup. He looked like a pretty competent uh, wrestle boxer, where he was landing good shots. He he got some good ground and pound in. He was uh, turning his takedowns in uh, or his punches into takedowns pretty comfortably. He was smart enough. Uh, to get himself into good situations. And against, like, Tiago Moises, Hernandez, I thought, won the first round, if I remember correctly. Uh, like, he, he's not a, an incompetent fighter at all in the first round. It's that he has uh, no adaptability, really, and he uh, becomes completely aimless if you start winning against him hard. He's, he's a front-runner who cannot handle being uh, the second to go at any point in the fight if he starts reacting to his opponent he is not good but when he's he's like imposing his game he has a very cohesive uh approach and in in certain matchups where like his opponent isn't really going to take over later on he can just win a decision from being a better wrestler than you or being stronger yeah and that has pretty much only ever happened against uh olivier urban mercier yep and that was several years ago and the only time he's done it but i do think it is a replicable thing he just hasn't fought that matchup again like if you gave him chase hooper i think he would uh beat the fuck out of chase hooper in the first round and then just lame it out in the second third if i'm alex hernandez i'm like please just get me a fight with matt quinn amakani yep someone that he's actually just gonna have a power advantage on on the feet but then again i wouldn't even be that surprised if Mach one just subbed him in the first I also wouldn't be surprised if he just knocked out Mach 1 in the first. No, not at all. Um, uh, but I, I also feel like he'd probably just be able to actually do the OAM fight again, where he actually does just get to get, get to cruise to a wrestling vic- victory based on his uh, physical advantages. Definitely. Because he'd be, he'd be able to explode out of a DAS for a round, and then Mach 1 would just be more gassed than him. I agree. And... Uh... TJ Brown submitted Eric Silva because Eric Silva Not is too lax. Eric Silva. No, different Eric Silva. <laughs> Just because this guy's too lax lexidical when it comes to uh, yeah, defending. Like yeah, there's something to be said for like being calm in a fight, but there's also something to be said for just like letting the other guy do whatever he wants and like uh you know, you, you got got to actually like pick your spots and make stuff happen, and not just be like, "Oh, this guy's doing an arm triangle. That, that's cool. Oh no, I'm in the arm triangle. I better try and defend it. Oh no, I, I have been arm triangled. I better tap." Uh, just bad brain thinking, but yeah, good performance by TJ Brown. Yep. Uh, and then there was a nice finish in the first fight on the card with Cameron Simon versus Stephen Coslo. It was nothing insane, but it was decent. Uh, yeah, just a uh, pretty like blue belt blue belt grappling match for a round and a half, and then uh, this guy got illegally kneed, and then finished. It, yeah, it was what it was. That'll happen. Okay, so on to the preview. Uh, on to the preview. Last UFC card of the year. It's the classic uh, weird middleweight main event with uh, actually pretty solid uh, card overall. Our main event, we got Jared Cannonier versus Sean Strickland. 
weird fight. Um, I guess the first thing I got to ask is like <clears throat> where Sean Strickland fits in traditionally as like a Jared Cannonier opponent because I've said this about Jared Cannonier. Most people at middleweight either don't have a choice but to clash with him physically and then bounce off of him because he is extremely powerful, extremely strong, and he's very patient and surprisingly adaptable in a fight, like, tactically. Um, and, like, um, you know, it's funny what when we actually did a, a staff picks article for the card where Jared Cannonier fought Derek Brunson, that was the only fight where every single uh, staff member who contributed to that article unanimously picked Jared Cannonier by second round knockout. It was just like, oh yeah, Derek Brunson is going to take him down 300 times and then get exhausted. And then Jared Cannonier is just going to find some weird offense and spark him out. Um, and then on the other hand, you've got people who uh, are actually just like technically better than Jared Cannonier and can like stay ahead of him and just like not give him too many reads and give him too much to work with and, and just, just, just kind of consummately outclass him from range. Um, where does Sean Strickland fit in, in that whole uh, scenario? I'm of like 15 different minds about this fight. I think uh, my initial read is Cannoneer is going to very easily low kick Strickland whenever he wants to, probably get jabbed a bunch, and any time that Cannoneer really commits to hard offense going forward, he's probably going to land on uh, Strickland's chin clean. But Strickland's also enough of a mitigating defensive fighter to where I could see him having long stretches of success where Cannoneer doesn't get much offense off. So the onus is kind of on Cannoneer to impose his game and not just have an at-range kickboxing match. Though I think he has the tools to just win a kickboxing match with Strickland comfortably. Yeah, Strickland, like... He he is tricky defensively. Um, More so annoying as fuck to fight defensively. Yeah, he's annoying because, like, he's fine with just... Yeah, like weird hand traps and parries. And yeah, again, I've said this before about Sean Strickland. His whole game is like annoying sparring tricks. He's such a classic young veteran. Um, and he's also really durable. So like, you know, being able to mitigate things to a lot of partial lands just like works for him when he's not fighting someone like Alex Pereira, who actually just both has the goods to set up clean offense on him like very easily and has the power to just fucking deck him. Um, yeah, he had he had Strickland biting on like four different reads at once at any given point and just had to capitalize on one of them. The people bring up that he was uh he was trying to parry a body jab while on one leg pretty much uh, cuz he was in the middle of something. It was just such a free matchup for Pereira to knock him out. So I don't even really think that has any credence in this matchup? I don't know if I, I mean, I still think it could just because, like I say, Jared Cannonier is like he's just like a wily organic power puncher who like just hang, hangs around and watches his man and tries to figure out ways to punish them for, for what they're doing. And 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 he he keeps his power as well. Yeah, so, I, I think a lot of what he was doing, uh, like in the clinch against Adesanya, 
could have a lot of relevance in this matchup. Strickland, as you mentioned, is like has the young vet thing going on, but now he's just a vet. You know, he he, he yeah. doesn't even he doesn't have the youth that comes along with that. He's just a uh, uh, somewhat young. He's an like old 30. young veteran. Yeah, he he knows how to make a fight really annoying, but I think Cannoneer's a bit too wise to it. Where Cannoneer's not just going to let him uh, jab him for free. He's he's probably going to try and punish him immediately and very hard. Well, I, I, or or I think you know it maybe takes him a little longer, but maybe he just finds the kind of shots that that Pereira was that was able to. Cannoneer also a guy that's just good at you know a lot of sparring tricks. Like he he parries jabs well. He moves his head in intelligent, cohesive ways whenever someone has the same offense coming at him over and over and over. And I do think a large factor is going to be how uh, Strickland deals with low kicks. Because, like, he's not... It's not the easiest to, to kick. No, also, not at like all. You see, he got fucking murked by Pereira because he's doing, like, knee-raise shifts to, tr- to try and mitigate kicks and then also worrying about parrying a body jab and, and just got sparked with a left hook. Um, I don't necessarily expect Jared Cannonier to do something that high-tech, but do I trust Sean Strickland not to get chins for five entire rounds? And, and I don't think Strickland's really a finish threat in this fight. Cannonier has a good chin. No, I wouldn't and, say so. Uh, also has good cardio for what his game is. And Strickland doesn't, he doesn't really impose his game in the way that you would hope someone with his game would uh, in this type of matchup. Where if he was very consistently like trying to push offense with his jab, I would think he is actually kind of annoying for Cannonier. But so much of what Cannonier does, it just kind of punishes a guy whose thing is like, kind of shit form one twos uh that are are meant to keep him safe yeah because like you know essentially what sean strickland has to do is do like a kind of ghetto bobby knuckles impression on jared cannonier for him to win this fight and i'm like um yeah rob whitaker like he won the fight very clearly but he also got buzzed really hard in the third round and got low kicked a lot and is it reductive to say that Rob Wick is just better than Sean Strickland? Uh, maybe, but also, I uh, I think how different of a matchup it is is important because Strickland is about as lacking in variety as Whitaker is whenever he's getting his game to work freely. But he has much less depth to go to if things get difficult, and he will not go for a takedown like uh, Rob was able to to actually mitigate things. No, and. He's not. I don't think he's ever gonna. I don't think he's ever gonna necessarily build on that volume of jabs to get like really hard offense in the way that Rob was able to, because like Rob having a great right high kick was also a massive thing in that matchup because he fucked up Cannonier's arm and also just just buzzed Cannonier with the high kick really hard in the third round and was able to get that round back after after he'd been hurt. So like. And Strickland's kicks are many things, but uh, powerful or damaging is not one of them? No. So I'm just like, obviously, he's he's a very different fighter to Rob Whitaker. It just seems like he has to still have a very, like, um, keep a high volume of jabs and don't get bonked performance, but maintain it for 10 minutes longer with just, like, substantially less technical depth. So I'm not going to be that surprised if he just manages to do it and Cannonier kind of just follows Strickland around 
I just still don't trust Sean Strickland's defense being traditionally good enough against uh, power hitters who can counter like Cannonier. One way to sum up the main reason I'm going to be picking Cannonier by finish is I think Cannonier has some difficulties if someone has a very pared down game, but I think if someone just has a limited game, he's going to find counters on them very consistently. Uh, yeah. Like Adesanya played a kind of pared down version of what his game is capable of against Cannonier, and it worked because he had more things he could go to to kind of keep uh, Cannonier on his toes, and also he's just flatly better at uh, doing a very pared down version of his game. And Robert Whitaker, his entire style is very pared down, uh, especially if he's getting his game working. But he still had another thing he he could go to if his one two high kick wasn't working, whereas. If, and for a lot of that fight, just the one was enough. Yeah, yeah, just the one is enough. So if Strickland even starts having a lot of success, he's not going to have more things he can go to aside from just upping the intensity of throwing his one-two. He'll just throw his one-two harder. But the more he extends himself, the more I could just see Kennedy killing him with a left hook or something because uh, as uh, Strickland steps in, squaring his stance. And also... Strickland does not have a good stance for receiving power from a, a type of hitter like Cannonier, I don't think. I think if Cannonier is able to find an overhand, he's just going to clean his clock. I think if he's able to get consistent low kick offense, that's going to turn into punches really comfortably because something you have to acknowledge when it comes to punching into kicks or kicking into punches is that their leg's normally closer to you than the head is. So if someone has their leg in like a more wide stance and you're kicking them over and over, you're not necessarily going to be able to kick into a punch. Whereas someone that is as straight up as Strickland, if you're able to land a low kick, you're in range to also buzz them on the chin probably. Yeah, particularly if, like in the Pereira matchup, uh, uh, he starts really relying on, like I say, those kind of knee raise shifts to to like close distance without putting himself at risk of being low kicked. It's just like, that's just how, how you also just get punched on one leg. Yeah. His, his style makes him in position to get fucked up on one leg all the time. If you have a kicking threat and Cannoneer isn't the best kicker in the world, but he has a low kick that he can go to from both sides. And it's very hard like uh Hermanson's a decent kicker but just um, didn't have the authority on his kicks that it could like sway the optics when he was getting badly out jabbed one thing i will say though is like you brought up sean strickland not being willing to wrestle um i do think if he wrestles he's like guaranteed to lose i agree that's just a that's just a jared cannonier thing he has a little bit of the uh Derek lewis thing where people just try to do everything to him and they just get tired having to tie up with him and then get fucked up um, whereas it would actually be really funny if Sean Strickland looked at his last fight and was like, oh my god, I'm so stupid, I should have wrestled, I'm going to wrestle this time, and then he just gasses out trying to take Jared Cannonier down and then gets knocked out. Yeah, I don't even think him getting gassed out from it is a, a, like a real concern. I think it's mostly that if, if he shoots for a double leg and just gets fucking sprawled on super hard, his face will break on the canvas. Because Cannoneer is incredibly difficult to wrestle if you are not a chain wrestler. Uh, he has such an explosive initial sprawl, and he's really fucking strong. So he'll just stand up if you actually get him down and you don't have the, the tools to hold him down. Yeah, Derek Brunson is good at takedowns and incredibly yeah. strong himself. Yeah, and, and still, he could only handle that for a round. 
Uh, and even if his, his stamina had held, he was still getting dice up on the feet more as the fight went on. So, Cannoneer, I don't really... Or, or I don't really think Strickland's going to have a dif- difficulty gassing if he's grappling. I think he's more just going to get attritioned really hard if he starts grappling. Which is dangerous to not be able to grapple a guy whose main deficit in his game is that he's not great on bottom. Or or not, not like, the best stand-upper ever. Yeah, and, you know, there is still, like, you know... Cannoneer doesn't always push a, a huge pace, and he will wait around and pick his spots and... Sean Strickland puts big numbers out. The path of the path to victory is there. It's just one of those. Um, uh, yeah, theoretically, Michael Bisping could have beat Yoel Romero if he had the night of his life kind of things. Yeah, except I think even worse because uh, <laughs> I think I think Strickland is just he's too unwilling to push his game, even if it's working really well in a matchup where he, there's going to be a counter threat all the time. Like he he didn't put up tons of volume against you know Christoph Yatko, he he just jabbed him consistently and then kind of started walking him down after a while, but even then if he starts walking down, Cannonier might just double leg him, because Cannonier is pretty explosive. He doesn't you don't have to have a great double leg to take down someone who puts themselves out of position hips wise as much as Strickland does. Just mechanically, he's pretty easy to to trick. Yeah, still yeah. surprisingly hard to do it to Sean Strickland. He does a very good takedown defense. Yeah, but I feel like that's it's literally his his takedown defense in a vacuum. But if you get anyone in a bad position, then they're going yeah. down no matter what. It it doesn't matter how good you are at defending takedowns if you just get tricked or or just get timed really well. And uh, Cannon here has has good timing, and Strickland is in terrible stance or position to to handle someone with an explosive shot. It's not a huge function of Cannoneer's game, but I could see Cannoneer actually being able to get some offensive success on top in this fight. Cool. Mostly, uh, what I'm getting at is I think it's a fucking awful matchup for Strickland, but Strickland could have some shit with his jab if uh, Cannoneer is just really reacting to it all the time. Yeah, I'm going to say Cannoneer, like, knockout round three or four. I'm gonna say second round. I think that the fight favors. Yeah, uh, I think the fight favors Strickland the longer it goes, but I also don't think by much. I think it's more just he starts winning rounds if it gets to the fourth and fifth. Okay, cool. Uh, co-main event. Uh, kind of a much better fight that easily could have been the main event um, that we could talk about at length. But fuck, it, we got to get through these fights. Armin Sarukian fighting Demir Ishmagulov. Uh, another one of these matchups that really heralds like the new era lightweight division where everyone is really well-rounded. And I think this fight, my main read is that it is going to be extremely fucking close and hard to judge. And there's going to be a ton of really even striking exchanges and even scrambles that nobody particularly benefits from. And it's going to be really hard Um and that it probably ends up being another matchup where Armin Sarukian gets a chance to like put himself forward as one of the next contenders at lightweight and then maybe loses a robbery decision. <laughs> uh, it's going to be like Armin gets jabbed a bunch but then lands like a decent left hook and a body kick and then I, I do not see either guy being able to have like sustained grappling success in this fight because I kind of think they're both dramatically better uh defensive wrestlers and grapplers than they are offensive um they're both pretty fucking impossible to like even islam makachev 
only really got sustained uh, success on the ground against Sarukian because Sarukian kept initiating scrambles. Like, it was actually pretty fucking hard for Makachev to get his own clean takedowns in that fight. Um, I'm probably gonna, like, uh, side somewhat with uh, Demirish Magulov just because I think that uh, his fight with Guram Katatiladze just showed a lot of, like, um, just in-fight adaptability. Like, he got fucked up really badly in the first round, but even then showed really good tools for being able to keep himself in a fight where he was getting buzzed really bad. And then, as much as that was an incredibly close fight that you probably could score either way, it just seemed like he made more adjustments as the fight went on and on. And the things that Guram was having success with early, he had less and less success with and started getting punished for more. So just based on that, I think I might side with uh, Ishmagulov, but I think it's going to be extremely close. I think it's a very hard fight to call. I agree that it's going to be close, but I think if anyone's going to run away with the fight, it's going to be Demir, which is why I'm going to pick Demir by unanimous decision. Uh, Demir has a game that's strangely well suited to handling a takedown artist whose main way to strike into takedowns is kicks. I think that he's pretty like well good distance prepared. management on yeah. on his kicks. He's good at just pulling out of the way when he gets a a feel for the read on someone's kicks and I would imagine he'd have a pretty substantial length advantage on Sarukian. And and Sarukian's game is kind of one of the new age uh kick into takedown guys whenever he's really getting his takedowns going or, like, trying to actively pursue them, more so than the traditional, like, wrestle boxer archetype. He, he'll more, like, kick into, like, shooting low, Some, which he, he doesn't always do. He's, he's a lot more adaptable than that. It's not that binary, but I, I think that is one particular thing that's going to be difficult for him is that his kicks are not going to provide the takedowns that he's wanting. And I also think that overall Sarukin is just... I don't think Sarukin's as good of a striker as he is being billed as. I think he's going to have a lot of difficulty on the feet because Demir is one of the better strikers uh, in the division, even with his like relatively limited striking game. It's not even that limited. It's just uh, kind of doesn't have that many tools. Again, again, again. I think it's pared down more than it is limited. Yeah, he can bring depth. stuff out. Yeah, but the, but there's quite a lot of depth within the kind of lane that he chooses to stay in. Uh, whereas I think Armin Sarukian has a bit more variety and it's probably more powerful and he has quite nice mechanics, but it's just a bit more rote. He's a little bit more like select a strike, but he selects nice strikes. Yeah, Demir is a, a great one-two boxer. That's mostly where he, he gets his wins at. And Sarukian needs to be able to kind of trick people into more power shots that he doesn't really have the depth to consistently trick people into. Yeah, and I think it is just hard because it's one of those fights between, like, strikers who like to be able to establish a wrestling game and, well, and if a, if a wrestling win is there, then they'll just take it. And like I say, I, I do not think uh, that's going to end up being a factor where either guy really gets to push an advantage. I think it's going to be one of those things where... Like every scramble just ends up being a counterproductive thing that doesn't favor either guy scoring wise, but just makes them both more tired. And I, I could be wrong, admittedly. It could be if someone really gets the ball rolling that Sarukin could just beat the fucking shit out of Ismagulov. But I I do. I think you're right, though. Ismagulov just being more well suited to deal with kicks because, you know, why I picked Armin Sarukin to be basically a nightmare matchup for uh, Mateusz Gamrot is because. Tesh Kamrot showed against uh, Guram Kutatiladze if 
you're a unit who can defend takedowns and kick really hard. He kind of can't deal with that. Whereas I think Demir has, as close as that uh, fight with Kutataladze was, I think has just shown um, more adaptability and just like aptitude for dealing with that kind of specific threat. So I'm probably going to favor him in this matchup, but I think it's still going to be like a split with one point in it. I think Sarukian's just too young to get uh, like finished on the feet. I, I think, I mean, not like inherently. I just think in the matchup, I don't really think he has much of a worry being finished. No, and he's he's very tough, and Demir isn't like a particularly dangerous finisher. No, so I'm gonna say Demir decision. He he does a lot with his one two, uh, and like he he can really like vary his rhythm and timing and how he applies, uh, like relatively pared down shot selection. But it's pretty rare in a fight that he'll really start like building off of that with like a hard. Uh, uh, fight ending offense okay this podcast long as fuck let's just skip a bunch of these and just go to the ones that we think are cool Alex Caceres fighting Julian Arosa that's cool um, someone's being finished uh, Julian is gonna win right I- I'm um, thinking Julian Arosa uh, actually could get dinged and then subbed but also he might uh, ding and then sub Caceres I think someone's getting club and subbed uh, I, yeah and I'm gonna lean towards Julian Arosa just because like something that I actually picked Hakeem Dewodu to finish Julian Arosa just because I thought like Julian Arosa was going to be the matchup to make um, someone who's not a traditional like power hitter but is just like well-schooled and has good mechanics to like suddenly look like a hitter. Um, and then I realized Julian Arosa doesn't lose to technicians. He loses to dumb punches. He loses to people who aren't good but hit really hard. <laughs> Which you could call that reductive, but like it is like he he he's beaten really a lot of the technically better fighters that he's fought, and like Charles Jordan, uh, Nate Landwehr, Sean Woodson. Then he gets sparked out by like Teruo Ishihara and Sungwoo Choi and Artem Lobov. Yeah, this is a fight between our each of our respective favorite not that great fighters at featherweight. Uh, I, I love, we both love both. Yeah, we, we both have a lot of respect for both guys, um, but th- there is still definitely underlying biases that are going to inform picks. Yeah, I'm um, going to pick Caceres by his lead hook, just landing a couple times, and then... Yeah, I was uh, going to say, if, if, it's any, if it's anything, I, c- I can see um, I can see Alex Caceres having some success with, with the right hook. I think if the fight ends up being a low kick battle, Caceres gets fucked up really badly, and I think if it ends up being a boxing battle, that Caceres wins kind of comfortably. But if a kickboxing match breaks out or an MMA fight breaks out, I think it's really even. Yeah, but I just, um, like, as, as long as Julian Arosa is, like, committed to coming forward, I don't know how much Caceres can sustain having, like, a back foot counter-punching performance before he just gets dinged and then gets dust. For me, it's, it's that Caceres has a really good chin, so the chin battle is kind of like markedly different but also the power isn't that dramatically different like Ross is not really a hitter he just hits correctly and cleanly a lot of the time has good timing but that's kind of where Caceres makes his money on the feet too yeah he's he's kind of wonky but he's and and he's definitely a lot quicker than Arosa but can hit with some accuracy but like and I think Arosa's probably actually a good bit harder to drop than Chase Hooper oh definitely but you know, Sung Wu Choi has a fantastic chin. He's just very hittable. So true. Uh, 
it it just gives me enough confidence that Caceres, if someone is just hittable, then he's he's gonna hit them. His difficulty in the Sadiq Yusuf fight is that Sadiq's pretty hard to just outright like crack over and over. He, he's not that hard to hit in individual spots, but if you can hit him re- repeatedly, he's or if Caceres can hit you repeatedly, he is a hard enough hitter to like affect the outcome. That's true. I just I've never seen Julian Arosa lose a fight because he like got his nose bloodied by a jab. Yeah, I mean, it's funny because it's you know he got destroyed by Sung Woo Choi, and then Alex Caceres actually finished Sung Woo Choi. But yeah, it, it, I, I think it's a strange one where you know the Sung Woo Choi uh, matter difference that you mentioned, but also I think Hakeem Duodu outclasses Caceres and finishes him. Oh yeah, probably. <laughs> yeah, it, they they are very weird fighters. I feel like Caceres and uh, Arosa are basically the same fighter, but it, like if you made uh, Caceres bad at punching, but then good at kicks. They're they're kind of the same fighter. Like they can ding you and sub you, and they're both crafty as fuck. And one prefers to go forward, one prefers to go back. It, it is a weird like funhouse mirror match to me. It's a cool fight though. I think I think it's well matched. I think it's it's my the fight I'm most excited for in the card. Probably. Uh, well, no, no, actually, because the fight I'm most excited for is Bobby Green versus Drew Dober. <laughs> Something I'm equally excited for. I think. Fantastic fight. Like, yeah, two two just. Beloved lightweight action fighters probably not going to go anywhere, but they're going to have a great fight. Um, yeah, when I mentioned this fight to you yesterday, uh, you, you were like, "Oh yeah, Bobby Green wins easily, right?" And then I was like, "Yeah, but how uh, we have Dustin Poirier at home is Drew Dober. I, In fact, how how much is he somewhere between we have Dustin Poirier at home and we have Rafael Fazeev at home?" Yeah, I've given the matchup a lot of thought like since then and i think that the fight is going to be a finish one way or the other but i think that dober is actually so hittable that he might be able to get finished by bobby green who's not traditionally a finisher and he's willing enough to exchange whenever he is getting laced to where i don't think he's going to shut down bobby's offense or make uh, bobby just kind of shut him down with a jab i think that bobby is going to really insistently exchange with dober whether he likes it or not and i think that could give him a lot of benefit but also dober hits hard enough and is crafty enough offensively to where i could see him just dinging bobby while bobby's getting too like cute with it True. i think the fight's but gonna be a finish like I, I i really do um i always have a hard time seeing bobby green get a finish it always could happen. He's a crafty, accurate puncher, but Drew Dober also has a motherfucker of a chin. Well, also, I think Bobby Green being better than he's given credit for after he's hurt someone is something to acknowledge. Uh, Dober, if he loses by finish, I think it actually might be a standing TKO because Bobby is really crafty if he has hurt you and his opponent is still trying to exchange with him, and Dober does not stop exchanging if he gets hurt. He just fights back harder. So I think the fight's going to be a, a fucking war. And his defense isn't as good as Dustin Poirier or Rafael Fazeev's. No, and if you look at like the Lando Venata fights, uh, Bobby Green had some kind of close to fight-ending offense in that fight, or those fights, uh, just by landing really cleanly and then trying to follow up, but Lando being a guy that's actually going to fall to the ground more if he gets hurt. Whereas uh, I think Dover's uh, not the type of guy that's going to get He's not just going to like fall to his back if he gets hurt and try and defend from guard. He's he's just going to try and exchange with you. And Bobby Green is really poised to like pull counter or just stay at a good range and then fuck you up on the back end of exchanges. You know what? This um, is also a matchup where I wouldn't 
actually be that surprised if it ends up being a draw. Real shit. That is possible. I could see Bobby winning two rounds and then getting dropped or vice versa. Drew Dober tends to start really fast and he's like really plugged in and like just knows what to do in the first round, but can kind of fade and get somewhat figured out like he did yeah. uh, in the Brad Brad Riddell fight, which he still probably had an argument for winning. Yeah, I, I didn't mean like specifically the order of when a couple then get dropped. I, I just mean he could win two and lose one hard. And and whereas Bobby Green kind of needs to get a bit more of a fe- feel for his opponent, just like literally, like he just needs to like feel where they are to get his defense going. Um, is more liable to just get clanged in the first round, but he's really tough and hard to finish, and like he's just very adaptable. And it like I, I think will just kind of outfox Drew Dober. The more he's just kind of able to like parry and roll Drew Dober's left hands and kind of just and, and, and like mitigate his kicks and uh, just just like shut down Dober's big tools uh, as it goes on and yeah I, I'm going to pick Bobby Green because like yeah I can see like shades of Drew Dober in uh, you know some of the guys who have beaten Bobby Green on the feet um, but the thing about Drew Dober is like um he really relies on his mechanics and picking his shots very patiently to hit with authority. Like I think we think of Drew Dober as being like an explosive power puncher, but like when he first came to the UFC, he was like a feather fisted decision machine. And it's like over time becoming more comfortable with really sitting down on his shots and throwing with good form that he's like been able to like blossom into a power puncher. Um, So, I don't th- so I just don't think he's he quite has like just the natural heavy handedness of Dustin Poirier to just keep extending an exchange with Bobby Green and just know that as long as he's landing, it's just gonna land with so much more authority. Because like I said, I just think he has to he, he has to pick his shots carefully, and he just doesn't have like the crazy explosivity and speed of Rafael Fazeev to be able to just throw like throw away a crazy combination to get Bobby Green ducking into a knee and like throw it all with really nice form. It's something I find very interesting about the matchup and it's why I'm so excited for it is that uh, I could see the first round being a shutout for either guy and the third round being a shutout for either guy, depending on how it goes. Like I could see the third round Dober just like having kind of gotten boxed into a slower pace than he normally goes into in the first two rounds and then really coming out and like clanging bobby in the chin really hard or i could see bobby nearly finishing dober and as the third round goes on just because he opens up his offense a lot more and just starts throwing and i could also see the first two rounds going to dober because dober is just really exploding hard and uh keeping the exchanges less safe for bobby to continue extending or i could see uh dober just getting boxed up pretty comfortably in the first two i also i think their matchups like the matchup like pushes each other into each other's game really well. Dober is a pressure fighter and Bobby Green is at his best as an outfighter. But both can kind of do both to a degree. You know, Dober can go on the back foot and throw a counter if he really needs to or if he's getting uh, his pressure shut down. And Bobby can come forward if he really needs to start uh, like getting offense out. Also, the kicking matchup we haven't brought up that much, but. The kicking matchup favors Bobby, I believe, but also Dober has enough ways to set up his punches with his kicks, 
to make it important or like prudent to mention also bobby green like might wrestle he could wrestle uh and if drew dober attempts to wrestle he's not gonna get success or or not like extended success because bobby green is maybe his best asset of his skill set is his defensive wrestling which makes makashev finishing him so uh like impressive because bobby green is primarily a defensive grappler yeah i, I can really see uh dober kind of like getting in on an okay shot but taking his eye off the ball in a scramble and just like getting switched on and then bobby's just like oh i can just win like this okay bobby also surprisingly strong uh he in his early career was a power wrestler before he learned how to box yeah the, th- the thing that uh i find uh exciting about the matchup is just that like um if even if we end up with a Bobby Green boxing clinic, Drew Dober isn't just going to like let that fight slip away from him. He's not just going to have the Nasrat Hackprest fight where he just kind of stops trying because he he runs out of ideas. Like you know, you know, he might kind of get figured out and get frustrated, but he's going to keep trying his fucking hardest. Yeah, there's no way the fight ends up being bad. The worst case scenario is it's like a kind of chess match. <laughs> yeah, and that'd be cool. That would be sick. It's a Two people whose games have a lot of thought behind them, uh, even though people traditionally don't really think of Dober as like a thinking man's fighter, but he really is. You know, his last performance, incredibly impressive, and uh, the the body work is important for both guys. Bobby Green's less of a body hitter, but his body hitting is very smart, and uh, I could see Dober getting Bobby to the fence pretty reliably, but still getting yeah. boxed up from those positions, so I think they're just going to constantly be having offense i i think it could be a chess match but i'm leaning way more towards the fight being uh like just them both going fucking hard as hell until a finish happens no this is got fight of the night all over it for me i agree uh and then to uh, to speed up the rest of the cards because we keep yeah, saying we're gonna do that, but, yeah we're, we're gonna give some quick hits like cody brundage mike michael old j chuck i'm gonna say old j chuck because he's a cleaner boxer I, uh, Either Oleg Sajic gives him the bonk or Cody Brundage does a wrestle, but I'm going to pick Oleg Sajic because he's cooler. Uh, Corey McKenna versus Cheyenne Vlismus. I think Cheyenne might Corey out- McKenna. I also think Cheyenne Vlismus might just outclass Corey on the feet with a, like, her her range is a lot more commanding. Uh, and she's a clean, cleaner kickboxer. Yeah, I'm still just, I'm still just not really sure what I'm still just not really sure what Cheyenne Vlismus does, and Corey McKenna is like uh, very consistent and reasonably well-rounded, and can probably just like get takedowns and win on top reasonably easily. I'm wondering how much it's um, actually going to be an MMA fighter if it's just going to end up being a kickboxing match where Cheyenne can shut down the grappling, and if that happens, I think Cheyenne wins comfortably. I don't know. Cheyenne has showed some real like defensive grappling liabilities. Very and true. Corey McKenna is just solid. Uh, Jake Matthews versus Matthew Semmelsberger should be a bad I, I actually think Semmelsberger knocks the fucking shit out of Jake Matthews. I think he is too large and hits hard. Quite possibly. Yeah, quite possibly. Uh, speaking of too large and hits hard, Julian Marquez versus Deron Wynn. Uh, also, yeah. real weird matchup. I, Marquez might really easily outbox Deron Wynn the entire fight. Or he might uh, get taken down a couple times, and then Duran could actually get a win for once. Or, or Duran could win, you could say. Uh, <laughs> Said Nurmagomedov versus Said Yudkub Kakramanov. Really good fight, but don't really have much to say about it, because it's strange. Yeah, I, I don't really... It's not normally the type of match that they do. 
so I, I expected Said, uh, Said to be fighting way up in his next fight. But yeah, I, I thought he was going to be fighting way up after he just insta subbed. Uh, was it the Cody Stamen? But even since then, he had the fight with uh, Douglas De Silva. Thought he'd be uh, getting the push by now, but is what it is. Should be a good fight. Uh, David Dvorak versus Manal Cape's cool. Uh, yeah, Mashate versus Hafa Garcia should be uh, a finish, I would say. Brian Battle versus Renat uh, Fuck Redinov <laughs> should be decent. I think uh, Brian Battle actually has a lot of difficulty in the matchup just by the fact that. Uh, like the experience difference, but their effective experience, I don't think is that dramatic. Uh, Renat fought a lot of cans and Brian battle has started his career pretty hot. So I could see Brian battle, uh, giving Renat all he can handle and maybe finishing him with strikes. I think that's actually what I'm going to pick. That's all the fucking fights. Yeah. Hopefully we should have, uh, some more stuff to bring you over the holiday season, but maybe we'll take some fucking time off. We'll see. Uh, as always, if you enjoyed this content and all the other great stuff that the fight site puts out, please consider supporting us on Patreon. A pledge of $5 gains access to a huge library of really great, high-quality analytical fight content. It also gains access to a Discord server where we have a great community for interesting fight fans who are cool to hang out with. We always get in the VCs and watch fights together. Come talk to staff, ask us questions. It's always a good time and uh, we'll see you when we do. Peace. Later.